In today's episode of the Amon Wire podcast. Just imagine if a community came together and they saw a young, bright student in the Sunday school, this, that, etc. And they actually came together and spoke to the parents and said, you know what, we want to invest in your son or your daughter. We want them to be the future leadership of this community. So what we're going to do is pool our resources together. We'll find some of the best teachers or the best institutes uh, around the world, what have you. And we will support you in allowing this child to grow up to be our leader. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Iman Wired podcast. Salim here. And uh, actually, this podcast is going to be a little more informal today. We're just uh, chatting, going to chat a little bit with uh, Sami Kadavik. Assalamu alaikum, Sami. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. And uh, Mutasim Atiyah, who's joining us again after a long hiatus. Alhamdulillah. See, see you, inv- you invited me this time. So. Yes, this time <laughs> this time we made sure to invite you. So, uh, so we were just uh, sitting around and we we're thinking, like, hey, let's just talk about a little bit some uh, some some things that are on 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 our minds. So uh, can I start? You first, yeah. yeah so, Pamela, so you know, Sammy recently uh, he came and he visited us in Istanbul with the Sohba Fellowship Program there, and uh, we went to the resting place of a very interesting scholar by the name of Mullah Gurani. And a lot of us just learned about Mullah Gurani, rahimahullah ta'ala, for the first time there. Sammy, give us some reflections. Uh, alhamdulillah, I had the opportunity to uh, uh, visit uh, Turkey and Istanbul m- uh, many times, and uh, uh, many times I had the opportunity to visit Fatih and Fatih area, and uh, the mosque of Sultan Fatih. And down the street from it, uh, for the first time, we visited uh, the grave and the resting place of a man by the name of Mullah Ghrani. He's literally like just, it's right off the street. Right. It's right off the street down the hill from the mosque, uh, b- below the staircase. And I've always uh, been a great admirer of the uh, Sultan Mehmet Fatih, uh, not only for his uh, great accomplishments, but for who he was as a person. And I had never come across, though, this figure of uh, Mullah Gurani. Most people who know the story of Mehmet Fatih and his uh, religious uh, upbringing know the relationship he had with his mentor, Aksham Sadin. Uh, uh, who was his uh, personal mentor and sheikh, who was actually a, a, a student of the great uh, wali of uh, Anatolia, uh, Haji Bayram. And Aksham Sadin was brought by the father of Sultan Mehmed Fatih, Sultan Murad, to come and uh, supervise and be the guide uh, for uh, uh, Sultan Mehmed Fatih as a young boy and to raise him. And he was the you know a pr- primary uh, figure in his life and throughout his life as a, a spiritual guide for him. But there was another individual which I didn't know about that uh, Sultan Murad brought for his son, and that was the uh, the scholar Mullah Gurani, who I believe was originally from Iraq, uh, yes. if I'm not mistaken. And he was in Egypt at the time, and he was actually a great faqih scholar, actually of the Shafi law. Um, and he was also a great muhaddith, and I was surprised even to find he was one of the pupils and students of the great hadith uh, master uh, Ibn Hajr al-Asqalani. Which is, you know, that's that's the point that really struck me as well when I first heard about that. I mean, here you have Ibn Hajr al-Asqalani, rahimahullah, having his majalis of knowledge, and he's you know, doesn't necessarily know every single individual right. that's there, and there's a man comes from Iraq sitting in his gatherings, and then he goes and he becomes the teacher yes. of the great individual that the Prophet, peace be upon him, spoke about, uh, who goes on to change the world. 
Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, uh, so many uh, layers of this. Uh, number one, it's amazing of Sultan Murad and what he understood his son needed uh, and, and going and getting the best that he knew of the time that he could bring to teach his son was a, is a really an amazing thing of a father-son relationship, uh, not just the military skills, et cetera, and, and, and the governing abilities that he knew his son needed, but to literally bring at the time probably the top you know, scholars in a spiritual sense and, 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 and the scholars of Sharia and, 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 and Hadith and to put them as the mentors of his uh, son. Which is another thing, Sammy, that, you know, for me, I want to pause and, you know, just sort of reflect upon. Because for us, we've been spending this year in Turkey, in Istanbul, um, with the Suhba program to put ourselves under the mentorship of Sheikh Mukhtar Maghrawi. Because for me, having a mentor, having someone that can help, uh, number one, let me rephrase that, having someone that's there trying to practice that, which they're sharing with people, is so immense to observe that. And then someone who can sort of share that wisdom with you as you're going on in life. So... This concept of suhba and mentorship, even for the Sultan Murad with his son Muhammad al-Fatih, rahimahullah, front and center. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, Mullah Garani, I'm a little bit weaker on his uh, biography, but you, um, what I know is he was with him throughout and actually became the mufti uh, uh, under his realm uh, when he was actually in uh, power, when he grew older. And Aksham Sudin stayed with him, uh, you know, uh, until his death. Uh, Aksham Sadin, rahimullah's death. Uh, so, yeah, there was this relationship, personal relationship that was ongoing. And I think it's very interesting, too, because you're also seeing, uh, although a scholar's uh, work is not necessarily political, that's not their purpose, uh, is to preserve the deen and the teachings in that uh, of that from one generation to the other, but you see the impact that they had. Mm. You know, would Sultan Fatih be Sultan Fatih without the likes of Aksham Sadin? Which is a really interesting point. It. Because it brings us to like our day and age, some of the criticisms I've heard from some people on scholarship or people of wilaya, saintly figures, is, oh, what, what impact do you have on society? Uh, you know, if you're not taking it to the streets, you're not doing anything. But in this case, you're talking about two individuals who took it to a heart, and that heart then took it to the streets. Yeah, I, I think especially if you're looking at Sultan Murad, uh, it, it, he definitely, there must have been a consciousness there, uh, knowing his background and even, you know, he was uh, one of the full, few sultans who actually gave up his realm, right, when he was younger because he wanted to go and live alone and live out his life in, in Zuhud, etc. So he, he definitely had a spiritual uh, understanding uh, and so, and, and a relationship. Um, uh so he understood, I think, what Sultan Fatih need, needed as his son because they had the same military expertise. They had the same armies. They had the same everything, you know, technological advancements, et cetera. What was it that he saw lacking? And I think he recognized it was that aspect uh, that maybe uh, his son, to do what his predecessors could not do, uh, needed that investment and very serious investment. Uh, and so he brought what he could of the best uh, who could give him that, uh, which is really uh, something I think is very telling of his foresight um, and investing in, in, in the heart of the individual uh, of his own son. And then we see what uh, resulted from that. Yeah, because it's amazing. I mean, for, for those of us who've been to Istanbul, you know, and you see in the masjid of Sultan Muhammad al-Fatih and Salim, by all means, you know, join the hadith, the saying of the Prophet sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa alayhi about you will open Constantinople and what a great leader the leader will be and what a great army that army will be. 
So if you have the Messenger of God, pointing this individual out and pointing this group of people out from his time, you know, you want to know everything about them because this is a special, it's just, you know, Allah tells us, the Prophet doesn't, doesn't just whimsically speak every word is mm-hmm. powerful, has a deep spiritual message. So it indicates it's a deeply profound individual and his upbringing must have been deeply profound as well. And so here we're seeing some of it in this realm of Mullah Ghurani and Aq Shamsuddin, rahimahullah ta'ala. You know, it's interesting though, you see this in other places. As you know, we traveled to Morocco together and we visited the uh, uh, Mullah Idris. Yeah, yeah, that's a great story. Uh, yeah. uh, tremendous individual. Um, and, and he's an amazing story. We don't have time to go through all the details of that, of his life. But one of the things, Mullah Idris, being, he was a descendant of uh, Imam Hassan ibn Ali, alayhi salam. Um, and he had fled to North Africa and settled in that area of uh, what we now know as Morocco. And the tribal people at the time, um, the various Berber tribes and others, he was able to bring to the da'wah and, and, and bring to Islam. What's amazing is after five years of spending time with them, he passes away. He was assassinated. It's a long story there too. And his wife was pregnant at the time. And they didn't know, the tribal leaders, uh, what to do. Uh, And so they decided, they called a council together. And the usual thing, obviously, being a tribal system would be for somebody to take control of the tribe. And usually the most powerful, et cetera, uh, uh, would do that because they had to keep order. And that was the tribal system. But they did something that was against tradition, uh, which was, I think, really amazing and telling, again, of their foresight. They waited for her to have her child. And when they saw it was a son, they made a pact together as tribal leaders that they would not choose a leader. This will be their leader, the son of Mullah Idris, and who became the great Mullah Idris II, uh, Thani. Uh, And they basically spent the next... 10, 12 years, similar to what you see now, uh, what we were just talking about with the Sultan Murad, of raising this child and giving him the best at the time of scholarship and uh, uh, governorship and uh, you know military uh, capabilities. They invested in him. That by the time he was 12 years old, they felt he was capable of being their leader, and then they all backed, backed off, and he came then their uh, uh, leader, and they gave him the bayah, and he became their leader. So they actually invested in yeah. their future leader, you know, which I think is just something really that's, should be. You know, and, that, and that's the, uh, you know, I love the, the story, that, that story, because you know, the first time I heard, heard about it, what my first thought is, and, and this also parallels uh, the first uh, story as well, was what you're seeing is, especially when you're talking about the next generation, like the foresight that it needs to take place in how and how you invest in our children and the next generation. And, and with, uh, with them as the tribal leaders deciding that, okay, we're going to raise our imam. That is really the essence of the concept of tarbiyah because tarbiyah comes from that, that root that is that you're, 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 you're raising lords amongst you, meaning they're going to be better than mm-hmm. the you yourself, right? So it's like, you know, what in, in Star Wars, if you just let me geek out for a second, it's what Yoda tells Luke which is very telling. He says, we are what they grow beyond. That invest in the next generation. We're, we're not trying to make them equal to us, right? We're trying to make them the lords above, among us, the lords with like this, the, the lowercase L, right? That, that people who will be better than us and who will be able to take the community into 
into even higher levels, right? And that that's like that's one of the the, the impressive thing from those two events that you guys were just mentioning was that foresight of having that. Yeah, and, and that's the beauty of investing in people. I mean, you know, you, you put all this time and effort in cultivating this heart to become this giant in the future, and then they go out there and they they enact this amazing change. And you know, that's what the Prophet sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa alayhi, you know did with his sahaba. You know, to the extent that it's so beautiful, you know, he always calls them my companions. Like we're on this journey together, learning from each other on our way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they then went out and they transformed the world. So, you know, Sammy, as a, as a community leader that you are, you're, you're the director of the NBIC North Brunswick Islamic Center in, uh, in Central Journey, Central Journey, <laughs> Central New Jersey. How do you try to take some of these concepts then? And bring them to the community level in terms of you know how do we, you know how do we build individuals within our uh, within our mosques? Well, I'll, I'll take a step back. I think is uh, we should rethink in general how we approach these things, and we have these stories of inspiration, and, and I think our, in our tradition that we can learn from. I mean, just imagine for a moment, most of our. Um, leaders, especially in second generation and others, uh, who are now become our leaders and our young scholars up and coming, alhamdulillah. Most of them have done that despite their community, uh, have done that against the odds. Something called them to it. They mm -hmm. went overseas. They did some study, whatever. Right. they. It was by chance, by accident, and all of a sudden times had this maybe even battle with their family or the community or, or what have you, even to do that because it's not the usual career path right. uh, that we're uh, uh, you know put upon. Um, but just imagine if a community came together and they saw a young, bright student in the Sunday school, this, that, et cetera, and they actually came together and spoke to the parents and said, you know what? We want to invest in your son mm. or your daughter. Mm. We want them to be the future leadership of this community. So what we're going to do is pool our resources together. We'll find some of the best teachers or the best institutes uh, around the world, what have you, and we will sub support you in allowing this child to grow up to be our leader. This is a really interesting model that you're proposing, Sammy. And I, you know, because uh, I know, because as you said, that most of the people that wanted to take this path of knowledge and spiritual transformation, they were doing so against the odds. You know, you're, you're begging people and fundraisers for money. And, you know, it's, it's not a community-wide effort. So what you're suggesting is that the community comes together and it identifies someone from amongst them, you know, who they can invest in to come back and be part of that community at a higher spiritual, even if Allah decrees teaching level with them. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, what do you think, Salim? No, no, definitely. I mean, it, we have seen, I mean, I've seen some masajid like that who have tried to like send someone, for example, overseas with the intention that like, this is someone that we want to groom, basically, that when they come back, they can serve the community. But I don't know if we've seen it to the level that, you know, as, as Sammy is describing, uh, where it really is a you know, a communal effort and a communal foresight. It's not just like a few people. It's like right. everybody understands, like, hey, we're all in this together in terms of if we want to pass the torch, to pass the baton to the next generation, we have to be all in on this. Right. Um, Resource-wise, like, you know, put your money where your mouth is, really, and devote the energy to that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if we've seen that yet. I mean, there probably are some pockets around that are doing things like that. I but love the concept. I, I think what's important there is the beginning where we keep talking about community is having that community. Right. It's, 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 it's building that community. Uh, sometimes, especially as our massages grow bigger and these quote-unquote mega mosques that are uh, coming, you lose that sense of community and right. that sense of intimacy. Um, and I think that's uh, a challenge that we do have as our communities 
physically grow in terms of numbers. Uh, that uh, yeah, I mean that is something. I mean, all of us probably have experienced. You know, when you were in that small masjid, like in like a little house, right? Mm-hmm. And you had that just like 50, 60 people, or you know, twenty, thirty families, right? And there's that really close. You know, you really feel that brotherhood, sisterhood, and then as the community grows, even if you just move that masjid from the little house to like the next big structure, and something changes. I mean, and it's really hard to cultivate that same level of intimacy that you used to have with people. And there's just this natural just separation of people, even just spatially, but just people are just not, that, that closeness is lost. I, I mean, I, I can speak from, from, from one community I was in where we were in a small, uh, small house, like as a, as, a, as a, and then when they moved to a very big masjid, the same group of people were there that were in that small space. Right. But then by, and then they moved to that big area and then other people came in because it was a bigger area right. now. And it, that sort of sense of community that was so special before was. Well, it's a nature of growth as well, though. You know, imagine. But, but how do you, how do you, how do you mitigate that? I don't think you can. You know? I think part of it is, I don't think, I mean, again, look at the scene of the Prophet he's with the Sahaba and they're there, they're all together. And then 23 years right. passed. Yeah, yeah there absolutely. Are 100, yeah, 10,000, 100,000. Yeah, people. And, <laughs> and that was one of the things that contributed to, yeah. you know, the fitness what that occurred do? later on. Yeah, you know, but what you, what you always hope, and Sammy, you, you, you know, you can attest to this, is that there is some synergy and energy amongst a core group that is constantly sort of trying to keep that orient, spiritual orientation going within the community. Well, it's interesting. I think that one of the things I find in terms of now as opposed to when uh, we were growing up not so long ago or maybe very long ago in my case uh, is the, um, the lack of technology that we had back then, uh, you know, in some ways actually facilitated and compelled you to be part of a central community. Yeah. That's if right. you wanted to learn something, you had to go out. I was just discussing with my friend uh, the, the other day, remembering back in the day, we used to literally go to different masajid to see the flyers of upcoming programs in different places. <laughs> wow, Sammy. Yeah. You're like, really dating yourself now. <laughs> <laughs> but just to see what was out yeah. there. And it was like, you know, we, we used to do that just to see, oh, this is going to be coming and actually mark our calendars to see this person come into town at this place or that place, uh, you know, we used to try to go to. Um, so... Now, people sitting at home and sort of this, uh, you can, can get, you know, information and, and all that from the internet. And it, it's hard sometimes to pull people out to actually f- for programs. So the, the, the negative is, unfortunately, people are becoming more in their silos. The positive thing is, I think that communities can, or the opportunity that we have, is then you become the only place that actually is bringing people together right, right. because they're not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. Kids are not hanging out with their friends anymore in, in the homes. They're just online, they're et cetera. So real human interaction can be the community if you have those programming that bring people together because they're not connecting in any other place in society. Uh, uh, Remember the community picnic, Sammy? Community picnic. Is that, is, that, is that even happening anymore yeah. in the community? Yeah. Are they still doing that? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's uh, rare. I mean, we do do them, okay. but it's uh, definitely, I, I remember growing up, yeah, that was a huge part of it. Almost every weekend we used to actually, uh, masjid hop in that sense, go to different masjid community picnics, right. uh, you know, and just sort of, you know, go and play for the day, et cetera, what have you. Um, but yeah, that's uh, not many masjid are doing them as they used to, definitely. That's the... I mean, it seems like also that everybody's suddenly become more busy than they used to be. Or so the so I mean we we seem to say that we're always so busy that we don't have the time to go to these programs even if they're 
like right in our same city. Now everyone's like going to all these different activities outside of, you know, the masajid, right? I'm not talking about Islamic themed, I'm just anything, just secular type activities. But it seems there's so many options right now, whether it's like entertainment, whether it's, um, you know, like uh, kids activities, like, you know, whether it's going and doing certain other things out in the community. And then then you have the masjid, right? And it's like, so you have so many other options for people. So if, if, you're, if you're running in a masjid or you're one of the core people in a masjid, it's very challenging to, to compete with this, these many, many options available to people. So at one point, what are what is, what is the, the, the guidelines that you need to keep in mind in trying to attract people without at the same time, you know, losing the spirit of what you're trying to do in the first place? Yeah, I'd say even the other way things have gone, right? So uh, now there's not a need, quote unquote, to necessarily go out to conferences this out yes, or, yes, or, or to programs yeah, or right. whatever, because the masjid community is providing a mm-hmm. lot of those services. Uh, so people actually go into sort of massages silos, and this is one thing uh, that I noticed. So one of the things we try to do is, and, and we do periodically, is try to take some of our youth, actually get a bus together, and go to another mosque. Uh, something that used to be, I'm sure, common for us to, you know, if, yeah. if they had masjid in there, we used yeah. to, quote unquote, masjid hop and go from here to there, even, you know, whatever, especially in Ramadan, who's reciting. Now it's, you know, you'll find kids in the community who grew up and never have prayed maybe in another mosque, even if it's down the road, because everything's just there in that community. Right, right. So, uh, you know, that's positive in terms of the community has grown in providing those services. Uh, the negative side is they feel like they're in a silo. Whereas, you know, if we went to a a, a national convention or we went to, you felt as a youth, you were part of something greater, right? There was something larger than your own little uh, neighborhood uh, mosque. Uh, And I think that was important. Um, And so I think it's important that young people do experience and actually go out, interact with other communities to be part of this or feel part of this larger uh, uh, community that they're not isolated on. And this is not, you know, let's be very honest, this is not something that is just afflicting the Muslim American. Yes, This is a societal societal thing. This is everywhere. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's funny, I was in Istanbul the other day, this major city, and I was just in a cab going somewhere, and there was this... uh, there was this bus to my right that was at a stoplight, and I just happened to look at the bus. And there's windows, so you could see everyone in. And I'm not exaggerating. Probably nine out of ten people were just sort of staring at their phones, mm-hmm. not even interacting with each other. And I said, oh, my goodness, you know, what's happening here? So this, you know, going into a silo, just entering into my phone in the realm of the Internet and taking me away from the community at large around me, is something that we're, we're all suffering from. Like, I, I'm the guy who still, when I sit down next to someone on an airplane, I, I speak to them. Like, I, I try to establish. Oh, you're that guy? I'm, that that guy. Next to. <laughs> I'm that guy that you're wishing, when will this guy stop speaking? Like, yeah. <laughs> when you start, you start fake yeah, sleeping. The problem is you start and sometimes leave it off to someone else. Oh, we won't well, go there. there's a story there with Sammy. Yeah, and we won't traveling go there. To, he's still bitter over this. <laughs> yes. We were traveling to Japan uh-huh. and we got into a conversation with someone. No, no, no. You got into a conversation <laughs> and I got stuck for the next so you, 16 you, hours. You uh, talk to the person because you, uh, you decided to uh, check out. <laughs> On that note, it was great having you, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but alhamdulillah, I mean, you still have conferences where people still come together and you try to uh, also reinforce this idea of, uh, you know, being a community. And so I think, Salim, to answer your question as I'm sort of contemplating it, I think there's communities at many different levels, you know, and so like even at what we do at the suhba, that's a community at a certain level. Uh, People that come to certain conferences, whether it's ISNA, 
RIS, ICNA, Pearls of the Quran, they actually become communities onto their own at a certain level and yeah. to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And those that uh, Allah sends to Bayna, to Al Maghrib, uh, to all these uh, Yaqeen, all these wonderful organizations, may Allah preserve them and keep all of our hearts uh, oriented towards Him. They all become communities at a certain level trying to address some of the matters that you brought up this you know sort of exponential growth at the local level so they're there they exist anyone who wants to plug into can right you can right. do it yeah i can find a, i mean you can, there's lego communities out there yeah there has to be the will i mean the <laughs> yeah. opportunities are there it's like it's like you know sometimes you just uh, in, a, in a generic level like you living in a certain town Right, and then someone will say like, "Oh, there's nothing to do here." Right, like, there's always something to do, Absolutely. but you have to have the will to find it and seek it out. Yeah, it's just a matter of having that motivation to really do that and do the legwork for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I don't know. If, subhanallah, we start out with Mullah Qurani, rahimahullah ta'ala, and look where we naturally look where Allah naturally brought the conversation to the community. So it's actually a very, uh, very beautiful thing. So, I mean, any other reflections about? Muhammad al-Fatih or your time in um, Istanbul or Mullah Ghorani or Aksham Suddin or Morocco that you, you brought up earlier? I would just say that uh, we, we tend to look at these individuals as historical figures and as uh, great personalities, um, uh, which they indeed uh, were, uh, who made and changed history. Um, but I think oftentimes we, we miss what was going on uh, behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, even if there's references uh, to it in historical record, we don't appreciate that fully. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that w- we should take that into account, that we do find uh, what's going on oftentimes with people who change history, especially in the, in the uh, Islamic civilizational context, and who are appreciated and valued. You will see that they don't come out of a vacuum. There was an investment in that person, in that scholar, and that is our tradition. Um, and, uh, you know, that people invested in that. And I think for the sense of the community in terms of services uh, that we provide, uh, we have to always remember that, that at the end of the day, it's people. Uh, individuals have to be invested in uh, in the community, not necessarily in, uh, you know, the, the brick and mortar, et cetera, which is important, um, uh, obviously, to facilitate that. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is the individuals uh, uh, who pray inside that mosque uh, or inside that center. And so whatever you're doing as a community should keep that always uh, first and foremost because that is our tradition. So whether you're praying in a Sultan Fatih Mosque in Istanbul or you're praying in a storefront mosque, yeah. uh, although the, the structure is different, the whole purpose of that place is about the person who's praying inside, uh, right. not necessarily you know, one of the uh, things uh, about the physical that, structure. You know, one of the things about the, the structure, and Maltasim, you could probably attest to this, is in like you know talking about say if you go to where Mullah Idris is or if you go to uh, Sultan Fatih the, the the masjid right there's like a, there's a generational spiritual transference that occurs mm. over over gen, over time so when you go to certain places there's still you still feel some essence of the the baraka that lies that that is in that community right so for example um, if you pray in some of the other imperial masajid in Istanbul right. Or if you're in that community, local community, there's a difference, right? I, I, am I right? There's a, there's a difference in certain certain messages compared to others based Absolutely. on based on who is who who was you know dedicated to. Just as you know, when you go to um, 
like Maqam of the Mullah Idris, right? When you go there, right, there is, um, there's a certain level of adab that the, pe- the caretakers have, that the people in, just locally there had, that for me personally and my family were quite like just so astounded by. It was a type of, of uh, adab that I could only explain by their love of the Prophet ﷺ, because that was one of the things that my experience in Morocco was that these were people who, just love the Prophet ﷺ. And that has transferred generation after generation. And it, you know, sure they have their shortcomings just like all of us, but they had this this mannerism that was unlike a lot of our experiences in uh, other messages. And I'll give you just a quick example on, uh, before you, um, I'll let you jump in here, Matasam. When uh, when we were at, um, I think it was the Qarwiyin, uh, you know, we were going as a group, right? It was right. men and women, right? So, you know, it's not that large, uh, you know, a, a space, but we didn't know which entrance to go in, right? And so some of the, the sisters were coming through the entrance that the men were supposed to come mm-hmm. through. That's not, you know, they, they didn't realize it. So what would happen if you see this take place in like, you know, an American masjid? You know exactly what's going to happen. Someone's like, you know, that they're going to get yelled at or things like that. What happened to them is one of the people in the masjid, he saw them and he said, please come. Mm. And he gently directed them over right. to where the sisters are usually yeah. coming through. There was no like condemnation. There was no yelling. It was this very beautiful, gentle way of correcting and advising. And that is something that is that is comes down generation after generation. It comes from that spiritual transference that, that, that I can see in places like that where that adab is being translated from one generation to next generation to next generation. And that's, that's something that we would aim to do here as well. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's interesting, you, you know, we started with Turkey, then we got onto Morocco, and you got onto the love of the Prophet, peace be upon him. It's, my dear friend, Muhammad Zakaria, the master calligrapher who lives in uh, Virginia, he and I were once having a cup of tea, and I told him, I said, you know, Hoja, you know, there's this amazing resonance, I feel, between Turkey and Morocco, though they're completely different places. If you go visit them, there's no comparison in terms of the, the physical. I said, well, you know, what is it? And then he said, yes. You know, he goes, I felt the same thing. And I pondered on it for a while. And I came to realize it's the love of the Prophet mm. that has put the spiritual resonance between these two countries. And he went even more specific because as a calligrapher, you know, he looks into manuscripts and what they produce. And he took it to their connection to the Dala'ilul Khayrat. This mm-hmm. book written by mm-hmm. Imam al-Jazuli, rahimahullah, all praising the Prophet. He goes, because you find it very often written and recited in Turkey, and you find the origins of it coming from Imam al-Jazuli, who is buried in Marrakesh. So that's definitely there. It's a beautiful thing to tap into. And then also in terms of the spaces, look, you know, one of the major blessings from Allah that I'm living in right now is uh, I happen to be the neighbor of Sayyidina Aziz Mahmoud Huda'i, rahimahullah ta'ala, who was a great scholar, a great saint, uh, who passed away uh, in the early 1600s. And he was the uh, sheikh of uh, Suleiman al-Qanuni. And he was also the sheikh of uh, Sultan Ahmed of the Blue Mosque. And he has a small zawiya where he's buried, rahimahullah ta'ala, and a small place where people go in to give him salam and they recite Quran and prayers upon the Prophet, It's a small place. But when you enter there, you feel a presence, a spiritual presence that you don't necessarily feel in other places. I mean, people are coming here every single day and just reciting Quran, praising God, 
and making prayers, making du'a. So that space transforms and it becomes blessed and then you're tapping into that legacy. There's something spiritually electric in the air. And I'm sure you both can attest to when you visited Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, radiallahu mm-hmm. anhu arda, in Ayyub in Istanbul, the companion of the Prophet who's buried there. Oh, you feel it there as well. So yeah, absolutely, that's uh, that's there. and. And that, Salim, to your point, gets transferred through hearts who are attempting to practice. Like that man who ushered those uh, dear ladies so kindly into the mosque, it, he didn't do that because he just happened to live in Morocco and people oh, in Morocco yeah, or in Turkey are just naturally yeah, better people. No, he did that because that person is someone who was probably living a life of spiritual awareness and his heart and its moments of clarity told them that this is how we do things as opposed to how others uh, may 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 act. So may Allah bless him and, and everyone involved. Okay, well, you know, um, although a very brief conversation, I'm, I'm glad you guys were able to talk about some of this history because I think it's, I always love hearing Sammy talk about the Absolutely. historical, you know, things from our, uh, our past because he really is able to translate a lot of things into a, a modern way of thinking. So JazakAllah khair. Sammy, for uh, being here with us today. Jazakallah khair. Um, Motassam, I guess I'll have to invite you again. If you invite me, I'll come. <laughs> All right. We'll wait for that. We'll, we'll t- tune in to our listeners. If you're, um, you know, inshallah, we'll have Motassam on again in the near future. I want to thank all of you for uh, joining us today for another episode. Uh, we can visit imanwar.com for the latest uh, podcast episodes and articles. Be sure to uh, give us feedback. You can send us uh, a message at imanwire at institute.org. And uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave a review, five-star review. All this really helps getting to a greater audience. And uh, we thank you for sharing it uh, with uh, whoever you can, uh, who you think may benefit. So until then, we'll see you in the next program. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be unto you.